0: Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Morning and welcome to Zero today. I am your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and we are here to empower you, our listeners, to know and being doing and impacting the world around you. That's what we're here to do and that's what we believe we get a we get excited about doing Every opportunity we we get to do this broadcast, and we just want to say thank you for allowing us to do so. Um, uh, let's see. As always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. <coughs> Excuse me. And there's several ways you can do that. Uh, first, primary way: if you want to get your thoughts, insights, two cents, four cents, six cents, a dollar input on the show live, you can call three. 3- 237, let I me, mean, 347-237-5230. 347 237 I tell you, I still got to wake up, I think. You can also visit our Facebook page. That's uh, Zero Network on Facebook. Go there, like the page, catch up on any former uh, past broadcasts. You can download any podcast uh, uh, through iTunes. Or go to Zero today on Blog Talk Radio. You can catch up with, you know, I have been blessed, and during this year would be four years that we've been doing this broadcast, and I'm just excited at what we've been able to do. The guests we've had, the topics we've discussed and all that. But anyway, I digress. So that's one way. Go to our website, go to the page, uh, on on Facebook, like us, follow us on Twitter at Prophesy. You can hit me up on my personal uh my my email, pastoromenzoneal at gmail.com. And also visit the website, LorenzoTNeal.com, uh, and you'll see some interesting stories and uh, some, some topics you can discuss, whatever. Excuse me. I'm still trying to wake up. But as we, always, we are always glad to hear uh, from you, to share with you, and all of that. Uh, today we're going to be discussing a, a topic I think uh, very few Western Christians are, are familiar with, uh, even though they know it. They they're not familiar. We're going to be talking about the Paschal Mystery, the Paschal Mystery. And for those who may unfamiliar, it's just it's basically a quick summarization of it is the Passion Week, the the events of uh, the supper, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection, Christ's coming, his death, uh, his burial and his resurrection. It's called the Paschal Mystery, and. You know? and they're so it's so rich and it's so wealthy in when it regards to uh the the commitment to God towards us and the communion he he expects to share with us and we're gonna talk about that a little bit today and uh, Hopefully next week, because next week is actually uh, Sunday. is known as Passion Sunday, Palm Sunday, and leading into Holy Week. And so I just want to touch a little bit on that. It's going to be a little bit of teaching, and I like to hear dialogue. I don't get to teach a lot on the show. So we'll be just doing that, and I'm I'm going to be doing it from a, a contemplative, mystical perspective. And I know for some people that's a scary thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later on. That's going to be at the bottom of the broadcast, so I hope you're ready to have some good interest, uh, good dialogue, and if we have dialogue. But I hope you're interested to learn something, because I, I always like learning. But before we go any further, we're going to uh, have prayer and then uh, discuss a couple of topics for the day, stories for the day, uh, that I thought may be a little interesting to you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for everything that you all to do today. This is a day you made. We pray, God, as we go forward in this broadcast, you let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray. Amen. Well, uh, it's it's April, and I, I tell you, I'm, I'm still waiting for the weather to make up its mind. It's it's still kind of cool. There, you know, there's been some some strange weather. Weather patterns developing and um, strange, well, not strange, but interesting things that will be happening in the sky in the cosmos later on this, this month that I think uh, uh, is pretty, pretty cool. Uh, for example, uh, there's going to be a blood moon uh, this month, and if you're not sure about the blood moon, it's, it's, it's actually a, a, it's a lunar eclipse where uh, um, I think it's the Earth and the sun and the moon all align at one time and then there's also uh another uh cosmological event with the uh earth mars and the sun line up and and those who have been and and that's one of these happened at this point so so there those who are using these events to interpret uh uh end time you know as end time prophetic events Uh, with the blood moon you find that in in scripture Joel chapter 2 and and then again in Acts chapter 2, Joel talks about and they, in the end times, you know, the last days, sons and daughters will prophesy and then you're going to see the blood moon and and Peter recants that, uh, uh, restates that, incorporates that into his interpretation of what had happened on the day of Pentecost when uh, the 120 gathered in the upper room speaking in foreign languages, unknown uh, tongues, and Um, those persons outside hearing them and understanding it in their own tongues. And he said, this is what the prophet Joel spoke of. And he recounts that. Uh, So, um, John Hagee, in his book, his most current book, talks about the blood moon. And he equates this with a prophetic event of some kind. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. It's mostly speculation, as is what... End time prophecy has always been speculation, speculation now, you know, speculative dates about the rapture, speculative dates about certain events, and uh, persons like Perry Stone and Jack Van Empey and John Hagee using just about any international headline as a recapitulation of scripture in connection to end time prophecy. And as much as I want to get out of here, (laughs) <laughs> if you believe in a rapture, you know, you believe that there's going to be a rapture and we'll all be caught up in the air. As much as I want to get out of here, I don't want to get out of here too soon, but, you know, the scripture says, no man knows the day nor the hour. And so these these celestial events, uh, some are interpreting as uh, a sign that the end of the world is near, a sign that... that uh, uh, if you believe in rapture, you believe in the tribulation, you believe in any of that, uh, how you interpret it, you know, when it's going to happen. Because that's a whole di- it's a whole different thing if you're a millennialist, premillennialist, uh, <laughs> you know, post-millennialist, pre-tribulationist, post-tribulationist, mid-tribulationist. <laughs> I tell you, it gets so complicated. Now, I-, I laughed at it a little bit because, you know, there are hundreds maybe even thousands of persons uh, in Christian ministry who follow every sign, every news story. And, and I mentioned some of the more prominent ones. Uh, well, you know, they got the TV time and whatever. But they follow it. But it's just interesting that uh, um, that uh, both these occurrences in are, are, are spoken of in Joel, a uh, book of Joel. And, you know, NASA... It's going to, well. They're not going along with it, but they're just saying it's a highly unusual occurrence. I, I've forgotten how much how frequent it, it occurs, but it is not a is not a is not a frequent occurrence. And this is what is I guess this is the primary thing why they are uh, really engaging this because uh, according to historical records, every significant um, celestial event has some Christians, uh, Western uh, pro-Israeli Christians, uh, pro-Israel Christians have have related to uh, an event in Israel. For example, there was, let me pull this up real quick. What they're calling, um, uh, they're calling a tetrad. Uh, which was um, four successful total blood-red lunar eclipses followed by six full moons. Um, that's that's what a tetrad is. Um, so they're saying that uh, for each tetrad, something happened to uh, Jews, and it was usually something good happening for them. And the most recent, um, the most recent was uh, in 1967 when the tetrad uh, occurred. It just happened to occur. Uh, one happened to occur in 1948, uh, 49, 48 somewhere in there, at the beginning of the uh, as the new nation of Israel was founded, and then another one happened in 67 when. The nation of Israel gained. Uh, I think they had that six or seven day war, or whatever it was. Uh, let me find it real quick. Whoa. Yeah, they had in 1967. They had that six day war, and they gained some other land that they annexed into the state. And they're saying now because of this, there's got to be some significant event that's going to happen in Israel, and this year and next year because it's going to occur twice. Is going to occur this year and it's occurring this month. And, and both of the other thing uh, they're, they're saying is significant is that they're occurring around uh, the the Christian observance of Easter both times and the uh, Jewish observance of Passover uh, each time. And and if you pay attention, you know, uh, Passover and Easter don't usually fall around the same time. Sometimes the Passover is before Easter. Uh, uh, or sometimes after uh, Easter so they don't they don't always follow around but uh, the Easter Sunday uh, supposedly was uh, a way of that was the Christian way of acknowledging the Easter Passover and we're going to talk about that a little bit later but what uh, particularly what John Hagee is implying is that there's going to be some kind of significant event that's going to happen for the State of Israel this year, next year, it's going to even happen because uh, historically, at the last couple of tra- uh, surprising uh, tetraps, uh some significant event happened for the state of Israel. So, what that event will be, we don't know. If it will happen, we don't know. Were those other two just coincidental, or is God really in control and He's about to do something and get us all out? You know, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I'm not that deep into it, and I'm not trying to speculate. And neither am I trying to be the one to say, come on, God, get it. But I tell you, the way, (laughs) sometimes I just feel like something needs to happen to get us out of here and get this world back on track. You know, like we need to push the restart button. Uh, And I hope it doesn't do it like it did in the movie movie. Noah. (laughs) I digress. I'm sorry. But that's the interesting thing I just thought I'd share. uh, I found it really interesting uh and uh enlightening because it doesn't happen frequently um and with with the mars earth and sun alignment, I think that only happens uh every almost eight hundred days or something like that so give or take every, uh just under three years uh something you know give or take. Uh, Anyway, I just thought that'd be interesting little fact for you that uh, you could share, um, have a little fun with. There's so much other news. I I I'm scrolling through my uh, news list, by, uh and various websites, and I'm finding I'm trying to pick and choose. I thought I had something that I really wanted to share, but you know, it's just so much happening uh, across the uh, Christendom, and I'm only do- dealing with Christian news. Uh, mostly uh, news that uh, directly or indirectly affects the church, impacts the church. But there's so much, and uh, so 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 much news going on. I wish I had time to share, and I don't. And so I'm not going to waste time trying to <laughs> trying to share anymore. <laughs> what I will do uh, is scroll to another headline. Uh, and I came across this, and I'm gonna spend a few minutes on this, and then uh, then give me a little time to. Uh, to go into the, um, the the topic of the day, the Paschal Mystery, and I, I'd really like to hear from my um, Catholic brothers and sisters, or my Episcopal brothers and sisters, because you all still practice that mystery in some degree, to some degree. So, but uh, that's for the later part of the hour. Um, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, I know a lot of the listeners are familiar with. Uh, the full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship Bishop Paul is more than senior out of New Orleans and out of Atlanta. Uh, you know, he he started this fellowship over 20 years ago, um, um, and you know, he had thousands of churches break away. Oh well, not really break away from the Baptist Church, but embrace uh, a more Pentecostal oriented uh, means of worship. You know, and and that included the speaking in tongues and all of that, uh, that Baptist, traditional Baptist folk just didn't, didn't observe or, you know, they didn't teach. Some did teach against it, but, you know, he led the charge in the Baptist church for women preachers. He led the charge for a more indirect um, and non-traditional worship style, and he led the charge for uh, the title of bishop, or the office of bishop, in the Baptist Church, and, and you know, not only that, but, you know, it became a craze. You had some of the most popular ministers emerge from this, including uh, some of those on uh, Real Preachers of L.A. I think that's the name of the church. I can't even remember on <laughs> Uh, Clarence McClendon was the third, or is the third. I don't even know if he's still affiliated with it, but, you know, uh, he's one one of the third uh Charles Almer, uh, Larry Charter out of Chicago. I remember him. Uh, uh, oh, who else? Uh, Larry Leonard out of it uh, was in Texas. I believe Houston. I don't know where he is now. But several back in the day, I, I used to flow with those guys. I used to attend all the conferences. I attended the first one that they held in New Orleans years ago. Because I, was, you know, I was fascinated. I was a young preacher, and I was just fascinated by it. Uh, anyway. Um, uh as those preachers came and go, you know, they were replaced, but one was a steadfast person in the in the fellowship and that was Bishop Neil C. Ellison last year Paul Morton uh at their convention uh announced that he would be retiring as the presiding prelate and the process began for them to elect a successor, uh or rather he handpicked a success, successor. And the election was basically just, you know, a dubious one. He he picked uh Bishop Joseph Walker out of Nashville, Tennessee, over the his second presiding prelate. Paul Morton was the first, Neil C. Ellis was the second, and Joseph Walker was uh, and Clarence McClinton was the third. And Joseph Walker was just uh one of the you know, I don't know exactly what kind of title he had, but he was one of the bishops. And he was selected to be the uh, replacement after Paul Morton, and Mr. Neil C. Ellis, everyone felt he was overlooking. And he did something. He said, well, uh, in order to stop confusion, he withdrew from the uh, selection process. And, and uh, I can tell he was hurt. But what ended up happening is he ended up starting, Bishop Ellis ended, <clears throat> ended up starting his own fellowship, he started his own fellowship called Global United Fellowship, and it's already it has already grown substantially. He's he's uh, selected some some of uh, uh, the more prominent ministers out of the full gospel into his fellowship. And immediately when he was passed over, all the church he's from Bahamas, the Bahamas, and just about all the churches in, in that area. Is, when when he said he was leaving, they left too. <laughs> so he automatically had. You know, he automatically had a group to to lead, but he's ha- he has over 800 churches already, and that's just starting. You know, I believe it officially launched in, in November, but he held his first uh, meeting where he consecrated some elders, some bishops, and whatnot uh, not too long ago. And I was reading some of my friends' Facebook pages who are uh, affiliated with Bishop Ellis and um, and this this group well, not with the group but affiliated with Full Gospel, and it's just amazing to me how quickly the schism has come apart. You know, the schism has has become uh, unwound or, or revealed. It's been there. Uh, I've said for a while that the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, while it's a notable thing, it's um, it's top heavy. You know, you got a lot of got a lot of things going. And secondly. Uh, uh, the second, the second thing about it is that um, it, um, the those fellowships, those kind of fellowships, promote a sense of, while while they are autonomous because they are they're, they're Baptist, the Baptist Church is congregational in and of itself, uh, but it gives these it gives these bishops, it gives these leaders a sense of uh, indirect, indirect dictatorship. In, in a sense because you know you're giving allegiance to this to this individual and not the fellowship alone but and, and that may be i may be getting off a little bit that but you know just follow it stay with it for a little bit um so now you have this split and if you look historically the baptist the black baptist church has always has is this is uh this is symptomatic systematic of the black church the black baptist church uh, you, you think about the National Baptist Convention, USA. That's the that is the mother of the Black Baptists. Black Baptist uh denomination. They you know, they're based out of Nashville uh, and um then you have the uh Black Baptist National Baptists of America and that was a split because the publishing company, uh, which was owned by a Reverend Boyd, um, they wanted to retain their, their, their power and hope because of, publishing company produced the Sunday school material. They wanted to remain independent and because they wanted to remain independent a lot of the Baptists joined, you know, aligned themselves with that and so you had the National Baptists of America. And then uh, in the late 60s um, as the atmosphere was politically charged, uh, not the late 60s but the uh, late 50s, the atmosphere of uh, the country was politically charged and leadership of the Black Baptist Church were becoming more responsive to issues against about civil rights, and you had great preachers like um, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. Uh, and um, C. Not C. Gardner, <laughs> I think Bob Bishop. Uh, but um, man, my goodness, the dean of black preachers himself, C. Gardner, um, was one of these uh, foremost leaders who wanted the Black Baptist Church to address head-on the civil rights, and and they didn't do it, so they founded a new uh, denomination, the Progressive National Baptist. <laughs> you see what I'm following this? And what's the funny thing is, all of these churches, you could be, uh, you know, many of the Black Baptist churches were all duly aligned. with You know, some were members of all three. Some were members of just one. Uh uh you know, my church we had you know, the Baptists have you you have your associations. So you had in my church you had uh my home, I came out to the Baptist church in Monroe we had the tenth district and the BBO. Those were two separate organizations affiliated with two different denominations, but uh mostly Dually affiliated because the preachers, you know, would just go from one Baptist church to another. They left one Baptist church and they went to another. It didn't matter if they were a member of the Progressive National or the National Baptist USA or National Baptist America. They, You know, it didn't matter. But uh, i never forget, in uh, I guess it was around 91, 92, Paul Morton and the bunch came to uh, the state convention and, and, um, and they officially withdrew from, uh, the state convention, uh, in Louisiana and that launched, that launched the full gospel baptist. So anyway, I'm just showing, the, you know, that the the pattern here among Baptist churches that is occurring. So the question, you know, you have now the full gospel Baptist church and it's split. It is, it's officially split, you know, they, uh, Bishop Morton didn't want to acknowledge that, but it is officially split. Uh, so now you have a split. Uh, of the full gospel Baptist church and it's going to be interesting to see how uh, and, and so here, here's a historical breakdown of the in the in the black Baptist church first you have the um, first you have the National Baptist Church Convention USA then you have uh, the National Baptist Church of America and in between there you have C.H. Uh, Mason, Charles. H Mason, who was Baptist, and uh, again, he got exposed to the holiness sanctification teaching, and he began to teach that. And he and others of uh, Jeter, uh, I forgot the other guys, uh, met, and they formed what was now what is now known as the Church of God in Christ. And uh, the latter part of the 1800s, uh, right before the 19, 19 again. Right before the beginning of the 20th century, you have the Church of God in Christ, and and when Mason goes to Los Angeles and has the Pentecostal experience of speaking in tongues, he comes back and his comrades don't agree with that, so they split and they form the Church of Christ Holiness USA. The Church of Christ, Church of God in Christ, becomes a uh, uh, a denomination, a Pentecostal denomination, and it splits. And form, you know, has a schism, and the Assemblies of God comes out of this, and so forth and so on, and, and down through the years. Again, the Progressive Baptist and the Full Gospel Baptist Church, and now the uh, uh, Neil Ellison's organization, which is called the uh, the Global Global United Fellowship. And the other thing was, I think some people have addressed. Uh, as to why uh, they're saying that Paul Boyd was a bit short-sighted because while he was stating they had an international ministry, he overlooked one that was an international. (laughs) Anyway, let me take this break. I've really gone over time, but I just want to share that and have a little fun within the process. We're going to take a break and we'll be back and we'll be talking about uh, the Pasco mystery. Uh, we I wasn't born to push papers. I was born to push myself. To go where I'm needed. To keep this country safe. I was born with the backbone and brain power to take on any mission. This is my office. I was born ready. GoCoastGuard.com smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Talk to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, da, 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 da. We're gonna go broke unless we figure out a way to divvy up the oh, shared that. data plan fairly. So uh whoever's fathered the most children gets the most data. Let's do hair. Body hair? Most dental work. What? Stop downloading and stop liking everything. It should be by who has the least amount of cartilage in their left knee. Just want to take a bath. Say no to sharing. Say yes to sprint. With truly unlimited data, text, and calling. All right, welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. And uh, I've really been a bit over my time there in the last uh, segment. And, uh, well, yeah, I get to rambling and talking sometimes. I just can't stop. I like to hear myself talk. What the you Not with that? No, I'm <laughs> yeah, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But, again, we welcome you back to the show. Uh, we're going to be getting into the topic today that I, I thought was very interesting. And, um, and I, I want to teach on this. Because um, as we approach what we consider to be the Passion Week of Christ, next week, um, Sunday begins, Palm Sunday, uh, and we, we recognize uh, certain events that we, according to Scripture, interpret as having been part of the Passion of the Christ and um, leading up to his crucifixion, his death, and eventual resurrection. And um, so I, I, I started a uh I started teaching on on this because I, I in the Catholic tradition, um and in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, there still exists a mystical fascination with the events of Holy Week and and, and Yes, I, I want to make clarity. that uh, The Bible doesn't say all of these events took place in one week. We, we read into it that it occurred in a week. And if you read the different uh, different versions uh, in the gospel narratives, uh, the gospel narratives gives you uh, events that led up to Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Now it doesn't say that they all happened in a week, but you know, uh, over time they have been placed into this this constraint, this particular time constraint. Uh, but from a mystical perspective, um, you know, we need to contemplate what the the mystery of uh, the the Passover lamb. That's what Paschal means. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew word pascha At least that's what most scholars greeted. Uh, Paschal comes from that word, uh, the, which was the Passover. And in the Christian tradition, uh, the we observe the resurrection. And we observe the, um, the suffering servant's passion during the time of the uh, Jewish, Jewish observance of Passover. And as I said earlier in the broadcast, it's not as direct. I often get asked the question, well, um, why doesn't Easter fall on the same date every year like Christmas does? And, 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 uh, you know, it gets a bit mathematical. It gets a little complicated because uh, um, uh, the, the the formula that they created worked back then. And, you know, we have different calendars and all kinds of things that have been adjusted uh, since since that uh, since that formula began, they began using that formula. And uh, uh, Christians in the early church, the ancient church, the first second century church, uh, their their view of these events were very different than uh, what we have come to observe in Western church, particularly in America. We we don't even observe it in, anymore. Easter is nothing more. Uh, particularly uh uh for the black church and let me speak for from the, my experience in the black church it has been relegated to little more than children getting all dressed up and saying their easter speeches and the preacher uh in some way regurgitating a sunday school version of uh the resurrection and leading out leaving out you know the the, the true parts of the passion. That's just you know retelling the Sunday school version, you know the clean version of the story, and so much gets lost in there. And I I, I wanted uh, I wanted to explore. I wanted my members as I started this study. I wanted them to explore the mystical side of Holy Week, the uh, events from a from a, a contemplative perspective. I wanted them to uh, have a Deeper, deeper passion about it, and I wanted them to see it from a different perspective and 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 engage themselves to have a deeper participation in uh, reflection and and engagement of the the Holy Week. And I wanted them to that, that I wanted them to have a deeper awe for what was happening. What the events that took place, you know, when you go through and you read the narratives in the gospel, although they are not the same, you, they do not read the same. Some have accounts kind of, you know, uh, out of order. I guess you can say it. The events in and above themselves have a deeper meaning that we should pull out, and it's one of the things that uh, that's lacking. Now, in the first and second century church, you had you had sects of Christians, groups of Christians that were into their deeper, the deeper uh, meanings of and deeper perspective and more contemplative perspectives of uh, the Holy Week events, and they they received the name Gnostics. And there are Gnostic, Gnostic gospels that are not a part of the canon that we have uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and, you know, the 27 books of the New Testament, how they came in to be a part of the canon is a whole different story. But those books that were not included, the, uh, there were groups, uh, pockets of Christians that understood that there was a deeper sense, there was a deeper layer to this story. And the deeper layer, uh, what they called, you know, gnosis, uh, which is a Greek for knowing, or knowledge that was that was the added benefit to their salvific experience, and believe it or not, most Christians have that they 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 have initially some sort of uh, underlying mystical experience that draws them to Christ or reinforces their relationship with Christ. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what that is. Uh, some people may have had, you know, I get it a lot of times, pastor, you know. Uh, the near death experience. They get sick, very sick, and and you know then they they have some type of experience that causes them to shift more toward a relational view of Christ, um, or, and not so much engaged in the church. You, you understand what I'm saying? Not so much as in, uh, as a worker in the church or a member of the church, but a a relational engagement with uh the christ figure and i use the word christ figure because again uh well not again you may not you know uh in the in the hebraic sense uh, the christ the messianic figure there were several in jewish tradition so uh jesus of nazareth being one of those several who has taken the uh he has become the prominent one uh that evokes salvation Uh, for, for the Christians. So I I said, uh, you know, it's kind of like a mouthful, but but we, we, we've we run through this this pageantry. You know, you have some churches, they're going to do the full pageant, you know, the passion play. Then you have others, like I said earlier, they relegate it to the babies, you know, dress them all night, giving them like a faucet. Jesus died on the cross. And wrote Aiken. and then they just clap. Yeah, that's good, baby. <laughs> don't don't y'all laugh at me, cause I, <laughs> I, well, anyway, I digress. So we've relegated the entirety of the event to that, and, and then we have in, incorporated, in addition to that, we have incorporated this 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 secular idea of an uh, Easter bunny, uh, Easter eggs, and the bunny land. You know. I mean, I like the Cadbury Bunny Bonnie commercials on TV, but come on, y'all, really. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, how, how that, I, I've researched it, but um, I'm getting off topic. But, so we've never, most Christians never get beyond that, that observance. And they call that Easter. You know, they never get past that, and they never get, they never seek the deeper mystical underpinnings of Holy Week. So and when you look at it, just, for example, you, you have, during this week, uh, let's put this in perspective here. During the Holy Week, during this time uh, in Scripture, in the Gospel narratives where Jesus is going through various things, he, he you see, uh, he's actually presented in an ontological and a, a, a cosmological and an anthropological manner and this is where he becomes transcendent this is where the jesus of narrative nazareth in the gospel narratives becomes transcendent and this is where this is where the power of the um the soteriology soteriological soteriological argument this is where it comes in when you see the character of Jesus narrative and see what he experiences during those last uh few days of his uh his life as recorded by the gospel narratives when you see those when you see what he experienced you see uh particular you see in john chapter seventeen he he's praying this prayer if you and you go read that the deep prayer it's a very deep prayer uh and I don't want to get confused uh you know we we call the prayer that he recall he called he prays in Matthew six and Luke uh I think it's Luke eleven and Luke twelve. We call that the Lord's prayer, but it's really just a model prayer. He's not praying that prayer. He is instructing uh the listeners on how uh the uh, a prayer should be modeled, co- constructed. So that's not the that's not the Lord's prayer, it's just a model prayer. Here we see him praying. And there are other occasions in scripture where he prayed. This happened to be the longest recorded one. And the first five verses in that, when you look at it, he he knocks out, I mean, he presents arguments from a cosmological perspective and from an ontological perspective, particularly. Uh, because in the first verse, he's like, the time has come for me to, you know, to come back to you. You sent me here, and I'm ready to come back to you. That's, that's an ontological, he he, he, he well, John does this, but he knows the gospel account does this like John does, because in John 1, he, you know, he infuses the very first verse of John, in the Gospel of the of John, he infuses the divinity of Christ with the, uh, his purpose. In the first chapter, in the first verse, in, in, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and so forth, and so on. Uh, and then comes right back and says, the Word became flesh, and the world among us, and we beheld him not, and so forth, and so on. You get a chance to read that. You see, uh, in essence, John, Takes advantage of explaining Jesus' um, ontological, how he came to be where he was. Paul reinforces that in, in Philippians, where he said that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and became like us, and, and forth, so forth and on so. Uh, those two things reinforce, and even if if you if you if you read it from Jesus's mindset. Uh, even though he doesn't, you know, when they ask, are you the son of God? Uh, when he asks, as he asks, when he's asked as he, kingdoms of Jews, and that, you know, he indirectly asserts himself there. And even when he's at that encounter with the woman at the well, you know, he, he, he does that. And I always figured that he did that because, uh, uh, not because he was speaking to a woman, it was easier to, Impress upon her because she discerned that he was a prophet. It was even for him to impress upon her that he was more than a prophet. But he said, "If you knew who you were drinking with, I have water that could give you life, and you will never have to drink again." That was a deep implication, but that's the way he flowed like that. But most people don't ever see that in the, and, and preachers we're guilty of just you know regurgitating the Sunday school version of the clean. And and it gets lost. Those arguments that get lost, and those concepts, the mystical idea, gets lost. And then think about uh some of the things that he experienced on this week. You have an inward and an outward manifestation of the human experience in, in this in this narrative, and all in every narrative account of the last week of Christ. You you find. You find uh, manifestations of human experience that are un- not unique but unexpected. Particularly by those who were surrounded themselves, he surrounded himself with. you know, you wouldn't expect anger from uh from a disciple who walked with Jesus and, and he says, you know, he tells them, uh, don't be angry at someone, you well, know, pray for them. But yet while they were in a garden praying, and they're praying they're about to leave the garden, when the when the soldiers come in, uh, one of his disciples has a sword and cuts the dude's ear off, and, and Jesus heals it; <laughs> He puts it back on. You wouldn't expect to find that, especially after they had just had this intimate uh, dinner, uh, this intimate supper where he's washing their feet, and he he goes through it and, and gives the sacrament, and I'm, I'm really going to get deep into the sacrament. I, uh, matter of fact, I should probably, uh, let me, let me, let, let's break. No, no, let me stay on this train of thought, and, and then I get, if I have time, I'll get into the sacrament, because that in itself, that sacrament, the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, the Last Supper, or whatever you want to call it, whatever you like to call it, that in of itself is a very mystical experience and and that you know but anyway uh you the, the human is manifestation that you see you you see uh where he's at the at someone's house and he's eating and this woman comes and massages his feet rubs his feet with her hair washes his feet with her hair that's that is an erotic activity and he's allowing it to happen and then you see greed where one of the disciples said you know she she use this expensive oil, you know, to do this for you. Well, we could have used this expensive oil and fed the poor. And she's like, no, the poor you have for you, the poor you have with you always, but me, I'm not going to be here. And so, you know, she did what she do, was supposed to do for me, preparing me for death. And then you think about uh, <laughs> John and James' mother coming to them, coming to Jesus say, Jesus, you got a spot for my boys up there beside you on the right and on the left and he says, you know, uh, will they be willing to drink the cup that I'm gonna drink? And they say, Yes, he said, Of course, you're gonna to have to go through it. And um because if you don't go through it, you won't get what you what you want. but I don't have the power to give it to you, you know, that ain't my power. And and think about um think about the times in scripture where where he when Christ there are three records in Scripture where Christ talks about taking up the cross, denying yourself, God, and thinking about the awareness that he he had going into that, knowing that he was going to go to Jerusalem. And even his disciples knew that if he, he said, i got to go back to Jerusalem, they understood that if he went, he was facing death. The death because he was threatening the the authority of the Roman Empire, in addition to threatening the uh, providential uh, independence of the Jewish sect, the Jewish nation. You know, they they had their own government, they had their own tax collectors, they had their own temple. They had a degree of freedom, even though they were fully oppressed. You know, they could worship in the temple under a whole lot of Roman guards. So, and they had just killed somebody who had tried to do an uprising in a similar fashion as Jesus did. And, you know, so you can understand their fear. He can understand why they would try to prevent him from going through this. Yet he himself understood that he had to go through it, and he prayed this prayer in John chapter seventeen, reflecting that, knowing that, uh, and a couple other things too. Um. So, so some of these things that occurred during this 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 week, they are both. Symbolic, as well as uh, pertinent to uh, the Christian faith, and I I use the symbolic, the symbolism. I, I stress that because when you see through, when you get into the the deeper reading of Scripture, of the narrative, of the accounts, you, you find a sense of God's omnipotence in there. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not directly saying it, but what is implied in the actions of Jesus of Nazareth is certainly there because you have an individual who is fully aware of a demise that is coming to him of some of his own creation, of his own doing. In, and I, I lean to John for most of this because in John you find Jesus the agitator and it comes and causes him a. Intentionally agitating uh, leading To to cause him to die That's When you read through John you, you get that because he does things Like in John chapter 6 You know he's at the Feast of Tabernacles And he already knows that the priests And uh, uh, some of the religious leaders are after him And he just you know He goes out of his way <laughs> To make you know to start some mess And his brothers have to kind of get him out of there Because they were ready to kill him then uh, so, in, in a sense, you know, is as is, is he is this if uh, just from the Johannine account, is this if Jesus knew, and he was agitating for this, you know, and kind of wonder. Sometimes it makes you wonder what his his mental state was like. <laughs> uh, you talking about Jesus being insane. No, I'm not talking about him being insane. But just think about the the awareness that you have. He must have had. Knowing uh, of a predispensated, uh death, he said, "For this purpose I came into the world. I gotta die." And you kind of wonder if he was doing things. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, let me let me move on. But and I'm I'm almost running out of time with this. That's why I'm continue. I'm going to continue it with it next week. And I really want to get into the uh, the the. Communion aspect of it because uh, what we miss in the communion part is the power, powerful, uh, mystical experience. And like I said, in in, in the Greek Orthodox uh, Church, that uh, and the Ethiopian Coptic Church, and the Egyptian Coptic churches, uh, they still are in in touch and in um, their their uh, their clergy still. Uh, participate in that ancient mysticism that the Western Church has lost, particularly the Protestant Western Church. We we lost it altogether. We have recaptured it a little bit because we do get a little, you know, we get a little mystical experience. Some have revelation knowledge. Some have uh, those who speak in tongues have that can be considered if it's authentic. You know, I ain't talking about the yaba I'm talking about the authentic uh, spiritual giftings that God gives you know the miracles and things that you know you go through the list in Romans twelve and and first Corinthians twelve and you see those things well uh we tap into it but we don't we have not we have not delved into it and maximized uh on those things so what happens what it ends up happening people just have a minute micro uh, mystical experience and take it and run and you know then they become prophets <laughs> then they become apostles and they become seers <laughs> and but they never really tap into uh that 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 metaphysical mystical experience and now i want to encourage the church i i want to encourage my church to do that i try to do it uh, you know and, and there's very spiritual disciplines that uh should accompany when you and when I talk about from a contemplative perspective, you know, um, you gotta incorporate those spiritual disciplines like uh, centered prayer, um, the lectio divina, uh, confession—not confession as we are, as as it has been done in the Catholic Church, but there was a there was a uh, there was a spiritual discipline of confession, and through prayer. Um, That you would pray in the morning and in the evening, and uh, I I wish I could. Man, where's my books when I need them? (laughs) Um, But the Holy Week, when you when you go back, I I want to encourage you go through and read the the gospel narrative accounts of of the uh, last week of Christ. And I promise next week we're going to talk more about the sacrament of uh, Communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, because in that sacred moment there, uh, what do you believe is a transubstantive or a consubstantive uh, with or, or in place of, whichever one you subscribe to, uh, what, you, what you would discover is a foreshadowing of the, the divine in you, a foreshadowing of the divine essence of God, the divine presence of God, and the divine power of God. All in that shared moment of communion, and you know, it's a, it's a powerful thing when you can really get into it. But anyway, I'm just about running out of time um, and run out of breath. <laughs> but we're gonna follow up again this next week. The Lord wills we will be here as we go into the Holy Week itself and prepare for the observance of the Resurrection. Uh, we will we will come back and we'll discuss a little bit more and contemplative. Now, if you're not familiar with the contemplative life, go about, you know, Google it. Find out what it is. Google sender prayer. Google, Google, uh, Google all this that you, you know, you talk, you know, what is mysticism? What does that got to do with Christianity? I don't believe all that stuff. Good. You don't have to believe it, but I'll tell you, it's one of the more empowering ways of becoming an authentic Christian. And I, I, for myself, I know that The 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 more contemplative I am in my religious and spiritual experience, the more I act justly. The more I act justly, and receive just just this justice from God. In other words, the the uh, the more I give over to a contemplative Christian and spiritual uh, contemplative spirituality, the, the 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 greater sense I have for the justice of God towards me, and the justice of me towards others. And that is what we summarize as in the Decalogue. You know, love God first with all your heart, soul, mind, and in doing so, you must also love your neighbors as yourself. You see that justice because God does not dispense injustice. He dispenses justice. And likewise, we should not in, dispense injustice because if we love ourselves, we would not. But I digress that, you know, that's a whole other beast, but anyway, I, I I'm running out of time, and we'll be back here next week. And you tune in. Remember, you can catch any archive show simply by going to, uh, you can go to the blog site uh, zero today on Blog Talk Radio. Catch any iTunes time it, download it on iTunes. Go all the way back to the first show where I was just sounding like I don't know what. And you can catch it on the uh, on the Facebook page. Like the uh, Facebook page, like the show page. Keep in touch. Let us know what we're doing. Give us a, you know, you wanna hear something to talk about, we wanna be able to talk about it. So that's it. But until next week, the Lord willing we'll be back fresh and ready. So this is it's so that's it.